It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood. A beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? It's a neighborly day in this beauty wood. A neighborly day for a beauty. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? I've always wanted to have a neighbor just like you. I've always wanted to live in a neighborhood with you. So let's make the most of this beautiful day. Since we're together, we might as well say. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? Won't you please? Won't you please? Please, won't you be my neighbor? Well, good morning, neighbors. And good morning to those of you watching online. We're glad you're joining us this morning. It's great to have you here with us today. And if you're a guest with us or this is your first time watching, we're so glad that you've joined us today. Now, over the next few weeks, we're talking about how to neighbor, how to be a neighbor. And if I'm being authentic with you, recently, many of us need a good lesson and a reminder of how to do that. We've been out of tune in this topic a little bit lately, dealing with things like race or abortion rights or politics or health care choices and so many more things that I could just stand here and list for you. Now, what we as believers believe, we believe that Jesus lived a perfect life and that he showed us God's love for us and how we are to love our neighbors. That's what he modeled for us. He died a horrible death. And then, to the surprise of his followers, he walked out of the grave alive to prove to us that he was not kidding about what he said. Now, the amazing thing about God's Word, this collection of like 66 books and letters that we, that we read, it tells one story of God's pursuit of relationship with people. That is the story that this tells to us. And it has relevance that crosses centuries, it crosses oceans, it crosses cultures. Now, I can tell you that I've experienced many different cultures in my life. Up until fifth grade, I, lived, I had lived in a town in central Kentucky, which was predominantly middle-class white families. Sound familiar? Sound familiar to any of us, right? Um, we knew most of everyone that we went to school with, right? Like, in my school... I can tell you there was probably a handful, five or ten other kids who were probably some other race or ethnicity that went to school with me. Then right before sixth grade, my family moved to a larger town in Kentucky called Lexington. And, and Lexington was far more racially diverse. As a matter of fact, I started going to a school with a much more varied cultural DNA than what I had experienced up to that point. And I'm not going to lie, I struggled with it. Maybe that was just a lack of experience with other cultures that I struggle with. Maybe 
It was the fact that I was an awkward sixth grade middle school boy. That could have been part of the problem. Or maybe it was just the number of kids even that I went to school with. It doubled in size. Like it was completely different than what I had dealt with. And I felt lost in the mix of all of this. Either way, it was hard for me to adjust to those new, that new culture and those new people. And then later on in life, I, I, after I graduated from college, I moved to Sydney, Australia. I lived in Sydney, Australia for almost two years right out of college. And I had felt a cultural change all over again. I moved to a city. Now, you may not know this. This city is known for its cultural diversity. It has a lot of ethnic diversity. And here's the truth. Unlike many immigrants who move to the United States and what they end up doing is adapting and and changing to our culture, people who moved to Sydney, they didn't do that. They just kept their own culture. And so they would build these little pockets of the city which were made up of all these different cultures. So you could go to one part of town and it was primarily Italians or this part of town was primarily Japanese or, or Indian or Muslim or Lebanese or Greek. And so as a result, let me just share with you, I got to experience many new foods. I like food, so I got to try many new things. I'll tell you, the way to my heart is through my stomach, and that is with Indian food. Just in case you were wondering, I love Indian food. Some people will say, like, it's gross. I'm like, you're weird. But this is something I got to learn as a result of living in a new place. But I also was there, I experienced racial tension. When I was living in the city, there were riots and, and, and fights that were happening as a result of hatred between Greek Australians and white Australians. Like, they dealt with the same kind of things that what we've been seeing in the last year or two. And it was very different than my protected middle America white life. See, when I stepped foot into a new culture it, that was different from mine, I remember I was nervous, right? I felt nervous. I felt out of place. I was humbled. I was curious a little bit. I was also a little excited as well to kind of learn these new things and experience these new things. Sometimes we get excited, right, to experience different cultures when we travel. That's something we do. Sometimes you may travel somewhere different and you want to immerse yourselves into it. Maybe you try to speak the language. Maybe you try different foods. Maybe you visit different cultural sites just to get a feel for it. Here's just something we want to talk about today. The truth is you don't have to travel the world to experience different cultures. We can do that in the cubicle right next to us. We can do that with the kids that we go to school with. We can do that with the people who we share a row with here at church. We can do it by visiting our neighbors down the road. Here's our big idea for today. It's this, crossing cultures is as simple as crossing the street. Crossing cultures is as simple as crossing the street. See, culture can be our ethnicity, but it can also be where we're from. It can be how we were raised. It can be the color of our skin. It can be our faith beliefs. It can be those social mores or norms that we grew up with. That can be part of our culture, and it can be part of someone else's culture. So what is your experience with crossing cultures? Because here's the truth. Crossing cultures is a tough thing. It's not easy to do. 
Because to do this, we've got to face fears. We've got to face biases. We've got to face past hurts and assumptions. We've got to get over our pride. Crossing the street to engage with someone from a different background or different culture is challenging. Because here's another thing. Sometimes when we choose to do that, when we choose to cross cultures, we're going to end up losing friends. You might have someone look at you and say, why are you talking to those people? Why are you spending time with them? They're not like us. See, this isn't a new challenge, though. We're not the first people to have to face this, this issue. It's been around a long time, and Jesus, he dealt with it head on. And so here's why this matters for you and me, because Jesus dealt with this issue because he wanted to remove any barrier that could cause anyone from experiencing full life with God. That was his goal, was to bring everyone into relationship with his father. And so he wanted to remove any barrier that stood in the way of that. So Jesus' church, the church that we're a part of, is the beginning of that reconciliation of bringing people back together under all cultures to one body under God through faith in Jesus. That's what the church was about, was bringing people together regardless of their cultural background. Let me explain to you how, what, what this means, and we're going to look in the book of Acts. And Acts is a book in the New Testament of your Bible, okay? So if you've got a Bible, I'd encourage you to pull it out, pull it up on your Bible app if you want. If you don't have a Bible, we have this thing called the hub in the back. As you go out the doors on the left, these center doors here on the left, pull up, you, you, you'll see the hub there. They've got Bibles available for you. We'd love for you to take one. If you're watching it right now online or watching later in the week, you can download a Bible app. It's right on you know, Google Play or Apple Store. Just type in Bible and download a Bible app. We want people reading God's Word. So in Acts, we get to see this story of what happens after Jesus has died and raised from the dead and he's gone on into heaven and now there's this movement of people who have followed Jesus who are in beginning in Jerusalem and then spreading throughout the Mediterranean world so this is the story Acts is of these sets of people who are doing what Jesus called them to do and so we're going to be in Acts 15 and in Acts 15 we see that there's a lot of non-Jewish people and what they called non-Jewish people were Gentiles and so they're becoming followers of Jesus. These disciples are going around and sharing about Jesus. And so as a result, people are becoming believers. Now, for this to make sense, you have to know that Jesus, first of all, was Jewish. Okay, Jesus was a Jewish man. And the first followers were also Jewish. And so many of the Jesus' first followers, those people that were going and spreading his, his gospel... They were clinging to their old beliefs the way they used to do things. They were following customs of the Jewish religious law as the way to faith and salvation. That's what they thought was happening. They liked their old system. They liked the culture they had been raised in. And so when Christianity began to spread around to these non-Jewish people, right, they began following Jesus, and so there becomes a lot of confusion because many of these old Jewish religious leaders, they wanted these Gentiles 
to be both baptized in the name of Jesus, but also they said, but you also got to follow the old law. You got to follow the law that we had. Check out what happens picking up in verse 1 of of Acts 15. It says, Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. Now, circumcision is a common thing in our culture today. I don't like to stand up here and talk about circumcision because it's weird, but that's a real thing. It's a thing that pretty much is more common than it is not now. But back in these ancient times, circumcision was uniquely tied to Jewish practice. And so this was a symbol for these Jews that that they were God's people and that they were set apart from the other cultures around them. In other words, they were, there was these Jewish Christians teaching that these non-Jews coming to faith in Jesus should conform to Jewish culture and so therefore be circumcised. See, that's the problem that they're having in Acts 15 is that they're saying, listen, you got to do what we did. And these Gentiles are like, you ain't doing that to me, if you know what I mean. And this causes a sharp debate among these teaching this idea. And the guys, namely Paul and Barnabas, who had been commissioned by Jesus' original disciples to go and plant churches in the non-Jewish world, in the Roman cities. So what's the solution? So the solution is the church sends Paul and Barnabas, again, these church planters, back to Jerusalem to see what the disciples have to say on this matter. So let's pick up again in verse 3, and here's what it says. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Now, you notice when they're going through these towns on their way back and they're telling other believers about what's happening, look at the response. They hear that all these non-Jewish Greeks and Romans are coming to faith in Jesus and they're what? They're excited. It says they're glad. They're excited to hear this is happening. They are so good to hear that the gospel is spreading. But verse 5, right here coming up in verse 5, this demonstrates that there's a group that is doubling down on the problem. They say, Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. Now, Pharisees, if you don't know this, and and a lot of people don't, are Jewish, and they're a religious sect. They are like these religious believers that have this strict, they believe in this strict adherence to the religious law. And so in other words, they were very self-righteous people. They believed that their way of doing things was right. And so this was the crux of the problem is what they believed. And I think that the thing that this demonstrates is that it's just as, this is just as relevant today is that we have a desire for people to conform to our opinions, to our comforts, to the way we do things. 
to our culture. See, self-righteousness is what we call it, is this like sense of deserving, that I deserve or I deserve for you to do it my way. Now, boy, I deal with this a lot with kids. Like, I got two boys. I got an older son, Sam, who will be eight in, in January. And he lived the first three years of his life as an only child. He didn't have a brother. And when Isaac came along, we didn't deal with jealousy a lot. Um, we were actually really careful not to let Sam feel ignored or that, like, he'd been replaced. Um, and, but as a result of having Sam first, much of what Isaac gets is Sam's first. He gets a lot of hand-me-down clothes, a lot of hand-me-down toys. And the reality is, is that Isaac wants to be like his big brother. He's four, right? He wants to play with the same toys Sam wants to play with. As a matter of fact, he likes to play with the same toys Sam is playing with at the time he's playing with them. He wants to do the same things that Sam does. And many times while they're playing, he wants, he wants to play a certain way or play with a certain toy. And Sam says, Sam says no, that's mine. Or no, we're going to do it this way. We're going to play this way. And so what ends up happening is they get in this fight, and, and what, you know, what we end up finding is that many times Isaac gets what he wants. Do you know why? Because we're tired of hearing them fighting. Like, and dad's like, just give him the toy. Please, for goodness sakes, stop screaming. But there's other times when Isaac will get a new toy. He'll get something that Sam never had, and Sam's very upset. And he doesn't understand and we get to hear the same line every single time it happens. Parents in the room, I bet you can guess what's the line that I get every time Isaac gets something and Sam doesn't. It's not fair. It's not fair, Dad. Why does he get that? I was like, dude, you had everything for three years. Sam thinks he deserves the toy. Sam thinks he, he deserves to get the things. He deserves to have it his way. He thinks Isaac should play the way he wants to play. He deserves to be in charge. Why? Because he's been around longer. And he earned his place. Yeah. But we do this right as believers and Christians sometimes, right? This self-righteousness that we have about others, we say, you don't deserve to get X, Y, Z because you don't have the experiences I have. You haven't been where I've been. You haven't been in the faith long enough. Self-righteousness says, you look at someone who says, you're evil if you choose to have an abortion. Self-righteousness says, there's no excuse for you not having a job and mooching off the government. Self-righteousness says, if you don't get over your past and work hard like me, you don't deserve certain things. If you don't believe my preferences are better, then you aren't worshiping reverently. You aren't doing church right. Self-righteousness says, if you've ever struggled with your sexual identity, then you need to get a grip, all right? And just act normal already. Self-righteousness will say, if you believe or behave differently than my opinions that I express, then you deserve less of my respect 
and my kindness. Listen, I've had ample opportunities in the past couple of years to get up on my soapbox and judge people. I have. And the more I do, the more I dig in my heels and research my own position and complain to those people who think like me and allow that to fester, it makes my self-righteousness even worse. And the truth is, if you go out to social media or the internet to research your viewpoint, you are going to find thousands of websites or articles written by experts, or let me rephrase, people who claim to be experts, but they're probably not any more of an expert than you and I are, that will back up whatever view you want to have. My goodness, there are hundreds, if not thousands, of places where you can get support for the idea that the earth is flat. There's an entire group of people that believe this. And so as a result, we do this and we just dig in deeper to our belief. And then one day, we see people only through our own cultural lens. And by this point, it doesn't matter what you say you believe. What matters is the fruit that comes from your heart. See, crossing cultures is as simple as crossing the street. All those things that I just talked about, they hinder us from engaging, from empathizing, from welcoming those people of other cultures. I mean, can you put yourself in someone else's story? Do you know if you have that skill? Can you try to see things from the other side? We don't have to agree on everything, but one thing we can do is develop empathy. We're going to pick back up here in verse 7. Check out what Peter now jumps into the conversation. And so he says in verse 7, After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. See, Peter gets up and he says, man, why are you trying to put this on them? We can't even do this. And then he says, the death and resurrection of Jesus is the only thing that we need for full and eternal life one day. Because here's the truth. Jesus, he transcended all cultures. He's above all of it. And yet he chose to die for all of our sins, every culture's sins. Peter's basically saying, listen, your self-righteousness, it's never gotten you anywhere. God, God's the one who makes a way for you. He's the one who is right. His word is truth. Your self-righteousness has never and will never make a way for your neighbor to share in God's love. And so this is what we need to do to those outside of our culture. 
We need to identify how we make it hard for people to come to Jesus. What attitudes do we display? What roadblocks do we put in the way of them? How have we messed this up? Where have we missed opportunities? Where have we let our opinions and our traditions rule? And maybe you're sitting in here today and you've never got to know Jesus and you're learning and this is maybe your first time and I want to say welcome to you and and you're trying to just learn what it means to be a believer and you have felt these roadblocks. You have felt people say to you, well, listen, it's okay to come to church as long as you do this, blah, blah, blah. As long as you don't break this rule or don't break that rule or you keep this on or you don't say those words or you don't think these things, you can come to church. You can be a believer. And maybe you felt that. And so I want to say to you that I'm sorry that you felt like Jesus ever meant for you to be clean before you walked in the door. Because that's not the truth. Self-righteousness is the problem. So what's the solution? Check this out. This is what happens in Acts 15, verse 12. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. What does it say? It said they became silent. Sometimes we just need to listen. You just need to listen. It says right here, the entire group of people just shut up and listened. They listened to what Paul and Barnabas were saying. They listened to what was happening. That's what we need to do. We need to listen because here's the truth. We need to practice something called active listening. And so active listening, let me define this for you, is the ability to let someone else know you understand them by restating their message. That's what active listening is. If you're a married person in this room, you better start active listening. This isn't even a marriage sermon, but you can take a lot out of this for your, for your marriage. If you're watching online and you're with your spouse, say, honey, I want to active listen with you. Not right now because I'm talking, but in a little bit. See, good communication, it depends on you carefully listening to another person. Active listening involves being attentive without interrupting them and then restating what you heard back to them. It's about acknowledging content. It's about acknowledging feelings of the speaker. That's critical. You're letting the the sender know that that the message was sent and received clearly. And it's understood. I mean, here's an example of active listening. You're sitting with your spouse and you say something like, listen, I heard you say that you're feeling out of balance, right? And you enjoy the time we spend together, but you also need more time to be with your friends. And you want to plan a time to talk about this. That's active listening, right? You're hearing what they're saying. You're saying back to them what they feel and you're acknowledging what they wanted. See, when each person in the conversation, and they're going to do this back, the expectation is that we do it both ways, right? When each person knows what the other person feels and wants, they know they've been heard and understood, that's when intimacy and trust, it increases. 
So how can we practice better active listening so that we can better understand where someone else is coming from? Because here's the truth. When people trust us, they see Jesus' brand of neighboring. And when they experience Jesus' brand of love, they'll want to experience more. See, the church leaders, they were determined to cling to Jesus' grace. They wanted Jesus' grace to be the most important thing for the acceptance into God's family. And they wanted to let go of this cultural bias that they had. And so what they ended up doing is they wrote this decision in a letter, and they sent Paul and Barnabas back to deliver the verdict to the churches. Here in verse 30, here's what it says. So the men were sent off and went down to Antioch, where they gathered the church together and delivered the letter. The people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. They said, listen, we need this so much, we're going to write it down and we're going to send it to all these churches. And so I'm challenging us that we need our life to read like a letter of praise and reconciliation. A letter delivered to those people who believe differently than we do. To those people who grew up in different places and in different neighborhoods. To those who come from a different background and perspective than we do. Those people who have a different race that puts them in a position that you haven't experienced. Those who have an idea, an idea of what church should look like that doesn't match ours. We need to write a letter of praise and reconciliation. A letter that declares that God is good. That he loves us. That he accepts us is that our identity is found not in our cultures or our background or what we look like or how we were raised or how much money we have. But our identity is found in Jesus. That we are sons and daughters of a king. And here's the truth. In this place, guys, in this place, in White Oak, we find all of our purpose in what God created us to be. In this place, we discover our identity in Jesus. In this place, we become equipped. In this place, we are deployed for mission to serve our communities. God has placed you in this life, in this place, for a purpose. Let's not be excited because God accepts all people. Let's be excited to be part of God's welcoming them. That's what I want you to be excited about. Let this place, this place be filled with different people who recognize their need for God and find his mercy here. Listen, guys, crossing cultures is as simple as crossing the street. And we're going to have some ways coming up here soon where you can start to help cross cultures. Come back next week. I want you here next week because we are going to be talking about a give back day that we're going to do both here in Ross and in our Colerain community. And we're going to talk about how we can serve people who probably are from different backgrounds and different cultures than our own. And so I want you to be here to learn how you can be a part of that, how you can sign up to do that. I am inviting you to walk through that door this season to cross the street and tell people about the love of Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to be in your presence. We, we love you so much and we just appreciate the fact that you sent your son to die for all of us, 
that regardless of our background or our culture, that you loved us all the same. And so, Lord, today I pray for these people who are here as well as myself, that we would be a people that cross the street to, be, to bridge the gap between cultures of other people and their backgrounds and their beliefs. And that we wouldn't put our self-righteousness in the way of your message. Thank you for the sacrifice that Jesus made. And we pray all of this in his name. Amen.